0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Word of God that I want to share with you as we continue to celebrate Christmas, and today talk more about what this means for us, is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, starting with verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about them. This is the word of God. And just like that, it's over. Christmas has come and, surprisingly, is already over. And I don't know about you, but it sure seems like there's so much buildup to Christmas, like, for instance, the preparation season. So much preparation goes into Christmas, and you wonder, am I going to get it all done? So I want to ask you, since Christmas is now over, were you ready? I mean, the goal is to get the big things done, right? To make sure you don't miss anything that must be done. I'm a pastor, so the main thing was getting ready for the Christmas services and making sure that that would be ready. But then there were some things that were kind of secondary goals, and then there were some way out. I'll give you a for instance from my life. Around Thanksgiving time, when I hung up the lights around our house, I noticed that there were four bulbs out. That's a pretty high percentage because I don't have that many lights up, but four bulbs. And I thought, well, I will get back to it. I'll go up there and tap them or change them, whatever needs to be done. And would you know it, all through the month of December, every time I pulled into the driveway at night, I looked at those lights and thought, oh, that's right, i got to get those bulbs done. And if you were to travel to Las Vegas and look at my house this evening, you would see at least four bulbs that are still out. So was I not prepared for Christmas? Yes, I didn't get everything done, but that was pretty minor compared to everything else. We have really no excuse for not being ready for Christmas because we have a calendar that has December 25th in red compared to all the other letters that are in black. We have usually a countdown somewhere that says this is how many shopping days you have left till Christmas. So we have fair warning and lots of time to get everything done And yet, I'm guessing every one of us could go back and say, yeah, there are a couple things I just wasn't prepared for. And you know what? Big deal. It's over. We celebrated. We had the precious things, the most important things. But the reason why I talk about preparation is because that whole season leading up to Christmas is a time that the Christian church has used as a time of preparation. Not just to celebrate Christmas and get the verses all done and the kids all ready, but also to remember that there is a time when just as surely as he came the first time, Christ Jesus is going to come a second time. And so he calls upon us to prepare our hearts for the time when Christ is going to return. And Jesus was not shy about talking about the end of the world, nor was he shy about talking about the end of each and every one of us in our individual lives. And again and again he says, be prepared, be ready. He doesn't tell us when he's going to return or when our life is going to come to an end, but he does tell us that we need to be ready. And unlike Christmas where you can leave a few dim bulbs hanging on your house, there is no going back. This is, this is a, an event that you must be ready for when Christ returns or when your life comes to an end. And any one of us could state the obvious, we just simply don't know when that ending is going to come. So, leaving that question aside, let's talk about a very important question that sometimes we might assume or overlook, and that is, when is a person really ready? I don't mean time-wise, I mean, how do you know for sure that you are ready? And I want to talk about that in light of this beautiful story of a man whom we know from just a snippet of his life, a man named Simeon. And Simeon is an amazing example of someone who is absolutely ready. And as we look at this, I want to point out two things that Simeon had that we want to make sure we have so that we are ready. First of all, Simeon understood that the God of heaven was his sovereign Lord, and he was his servant. The God of heaven was his sovereign Lord, and Simeon was his servant. The second thing that Simeon understood was that Jesus, the Son of God sent from heaven at Christmas, was his salvation, his Savior. I want to do that based upon this account. So I want to first talk about Simeon Truly, truly being prepared because he saw the sovereign Lord as his God and he saw his own humility as the, the Lord's servant. This event is kind of an interesting thing for those of us who are not super connected to Jewish customs that are prescribed by God the ceremonial law. Jesus of course as any Jewish boy would have been circumcised on the eighth day. And that is recorded in Luke that that took place and that was when he was given the name Jesus by Joseph. But then At the 40th day of a baby's life, especially with the firstborn, a couple different things needed to happen. So that's why Mary and Joseph were in in Bethlehem, which is maybe three miles from Jerusalem. But they stayed there for the full 40 days until two things happened. One, it was the time of purification. So Mary, having given birth, had to go through ceremonies of purification as any woman who would give birth. And so they would go to the temple to declare those days of purification over. The second thing that they would do, and this is kind of interesting, you would always bring your firstborn to the temple and give it to the Lord. And then, as the father, your firstborn, you would take probably a small coin and you would purchase your firstborn son back. And that was called the ceremony of redemption or presentation, either way, giving or taking back. And that's what Mary and Joseph had gone to the temple to do. So Jesus is about roughly a month and a half old, 40 days old, and they come into the temple courtyard, and I'm not sure how crowded it was now. I mean, at the time that, that the Passover, later on in Jesus' life, it would have been packed solid, but I don't know how many people were there. But they walked into the temple courtyards, and the most amazing thing happened. An elderly man, we don't know how old, we don't know how, what he looked like, we don't know much about his background, came up to them, And I'm guessing with a warm, excited look on his face, maybe tears in his eyes, reached out and took their little child from them and held him close in his arms. It's an amazing scene when you think about it. I I like to picture Mary and Joseph looking at each other going, what is happening? And yet they had seen the shepherds appear at their stable side. On the very night he was born, and they came in and bowed down to their son. and They knew who he was, but they were experiencing this firsthand. But now, thinking about Mary Joseph, let's think about Simeon. Simeon, so overwhelmed with gratitude to God, began to sing. I don't know if he actually sang it to a melody or if he spoke the words, but Luke records these words that we call the nunc dimittis, which is simply the first words of his song in Latin. And Simeon had been told by God, the Holy Spirit, somehow, I don't know how, that he was going to live until he actually saw the Messiah in person. They would actually see the Savior. And that's exactly what he knew was happening. The Bible says he was moved by the Holy Spirit to go into the temple courtyards. He sees this young couple, knows immediately this is the one, and reaches out to take Jesus from the hands of Mother Mary. And then Simeon says, Lord, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. And with just those two phrases, I want to stop and talk for a moment. Look at Simeon as an incredible example of humility before his God. Sovereign Lord, let your servant now depart in peace. Humility is spoken about in Scripture as being part and parcel of the Christian faith. Why? Because pride is a horrible thing. Pride is a horrible thing that infects every single sinner. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 16, God's Word says the Lord despises the proud. It was pride that made Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden start thinking, Wow, if we eat of this fruit, you're, you're telling me we could be like God? And in pride, they, they overruled the Word of God and went with the lie of the devil and followed after that. That was pride at the base of their decision to defy God. It was pride in, in the heart of King Herod. Remember King Herod? He was the one who got wind of the birth of a Savior, a king and by the, from the Magi. And, and King Herod said, I will not have somebody threaten my kingdom. I don't want a new king to be born. In fact, I'm going to do away with him before he even gets started. And he ordered that all of the newborn babies of Bethlehem, all the newborn baby boys of Bethlehem, should be executed. The first Christian martyrs. It was sinful pride in themselves that caused the Pharisees, who should have known the Scriptures and should have been looking for the Messiah, that when they were looking him in the eye, they didn't recognize him. They didn't want him. He's a threat to us. He's a threat to our popularity. He's a threat to our our money-making machine. And so in pride, they rejected him. Pride is a horrible thing. And Scripture says, again, Proverbs 16, pride goes before the fall. And whenever I hear that verse, pride goes before the fall, or pride goes before the destruction, I think of a scene that maybe you can think back to or you certainly can imagine. A small child, training wheels coming off, riding on a two-wheeler for the first time, kind of getting excited, kind of getting confident, which confidence is great, but you can see how quickly it turns when when the child says, Dad, let go of the seat. I want to do this. And then Dad says, Yeah, I'm not sure you're... No, come on. And all of a sudden that pride starts to well up and it turns into anger at Dad and let go. And so Dad lets go. And 15, 20 feet, the bike starts to wobble and crash, road rash. Pride goes before the fall that's the reality that we all have to understand about our sinful nature because we all are infected by nature with that kind of pride and it shows itself even in our christian actions at times when when we go against what god says and we we don't approach him in humility and we start thinking to ourselves things like i come up with my own opinions and i'm the one who understands these things and sometimes we even look at each other and we think I am the one who has the handle on these things and these people are just not getting it because of their ignorance or their foolishness and so we, in pride, kind of look down on other people. Maybe we start telling other people that they're not as wise as we are and we start gossiping about them. At the root is that sinful pride once again. Pride is what moves us to say, I know what God wants me to do with my money. I know what I should be doing on a Sunday morning. I know I should have a devotional life, but... I have different priorities. Other things are more important. Pride moves the sinner, like me and you, to overrule God's wisdom and puts us in a bad place. Always, always the whole concept of, I can do this myself. I don't need the wisdom of God. I don't need the Word of God. I don't even need the Savior come from God. When we start thinking of that in any way, that is all rooted in this pride, and that's why it needs to be addressed. And we're addressing it this morning, asking the Holy Spirit to help us see this in ourselves so that we can recognize what Simeon was all about. Now, I don't know Simeon's whole life. I only know this one instance in this beautiful song. But in this moment, he looked at his Savior and he said, Sovereign Lord, let your servant depart in peace. With humility, he realized just how desperately he needed the Savior. You know, if you get the privilege of holding a small baby... It is just naturally an atmosphere where love just starts flowing. And usually we look at that scene where, you know, a mom is holding a small baby and we say, look at how she loves that baby. Look at how that baby needs her. But this is flipped. Simeon absolutely loves this baby, but we can't even comprehend how much this baby, the Son of God, sent from heaven, ruler of the world, creator of all things, loves Simeon. The fact that he's there shows us about that kind of love. The fact that he had come on this mission. See, Jesus did not come to teach us a better way. He didn't come to give us a good scolding or, or to try to clean things up down here. He came on a mission from God, and it was the Father's will, Isaiah tells us, to crush him and cause him to suffer. Now, not as a baby, but when he went to that cross, he was taking the sins of Simeon, and Simeon knew he had sins. And he was taking your sins and mine to that cross for us. We know we have sins. The Bible says if you think you're without sin, you're fooling yourself. But we have a desperate need and we recognize that in humility. Which, by the way, is the first part of repentance. Acknowledging your sinfulness. Not coming up with excuses, not putting blame on others. Simply saying, Sovereign Lord, I am your servant, unworthy as I am. Let's go back to the account of Simeon. I like to think of Simeon kind of as sitting on the pinnacle between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament, the old promise was, one day a Savior is going to come. And that promise was given from one generation to another, from one prophet to the people, time and time again, looking to the one who would one day come. And now Simeon standing there in the temple courtyard is holding the fulfillment of every one of those promises. So the Old Testament is now fulfilled in Christ. And the New Testament, the new promise, same Savior, says everyone who believes in that child as their Savior will have eternal life. And so Simeon standing there saw not only that the Lord was his sovereign, that he himself was only a servant, but he saw that God had come to be his Savior. And that's the amazing aspect of Christmas that we cherish so much. Again, you think about holding a baby and you think about the peace that comes from this. I just love to picture Simeon just looking into the eyes of God's Son. There are so many songs that have been written to the Nunc Dimittis. So many beautiful Christmas songs. So many pictures that have been painted maybe you are thinking of one in your mind of Simeon holding up that child with with joyful tears flowing from his face if not google it this afternoon and look at some of those pictures artists are amazing to be able to capture the emotion of this moment but Simeon knew exactly who this savior was he had heard the promises he had them in the heart he had the absolute assurance from the Holy Spirit that he would get to see in the flesh the savior Jesus. And we look at this scene and we say, that must have been amazing. Wouldn't you love to hold Jesus the baby? Wouldn't you love to just for a minute look into the eyes of God and know that He had come for a world, a world of lost sinners for sure, but to know that He has come for you. Most of you I've never met before, but I can say that with absolute certainty. He came for you. And to be able to hold that child like Simeon was and know just exactly who he was, the one who Isaiah also said would carry our infirmities and take our sorrows and go to the cross and pay for them, Simeon saw all of that in his heart and in his eyes of faith. And he celebrated with great joy because now he had seen the salvation of the Lord. Christians, you don't have to be in the temple courtyard on the exact day to hold Christ Jesus. By the faith that God has given to us, as I said earlier, we know the proverbial real meaning of Christmas. The truth about Christmas is looking at that child, holding him dear from a heart of faith and saying, this is my hope. Jesus is the one who brings me peace. No one else can. The world has nothing like it. He came from another world to bring this peace to us. There is nothing else in this world that can give me the assurance that no matter what happens, when when the end comes, or when my end comes, I am going to be prepared because I'm holding on to my hope and my salvation through Christ. You are holding the Savior Jesus by faith. And that has to make you marvel, doesn't it? Do you know how much you're loved? Do you know how much the God of the heavens, even though we're rebellious sinners, how much He loves you? You are truly prepared when you hold Christ Jesus as your hope and your salvation. You are truly prepared when you see him as your Lord, yes, but also as the one who loves you enough to step into your place and offer the sacrifice that pays for sins and gives you the victory of Easter Sunday. That's why, going back to what I said before, it's not just about Jesus being the Savior of the whole world, it is also about the fact that he came for you. Let me just go to one other point then. Simeon, as he sings, says, this Savior is not only the pride and joy of the Jewish race, but he is the light to lighten the Gentiles. So just as surely as we marvel that Jesus came for each and every one of us, we also marvel that Jesus came for all of us. And you maybe can start hearing, those of you familiar with the Christian church here, you can maybe start hearing the message of epiphany. And the message of epiphany is simply this, that Jesus is not the Savior for a few people or for a group of people. He is the Savior for literally everyone because he would offer the sacrifice that pays for the sins of the whole world. So you can speak to anyone, no matter where they came from or what they look like, and you can tell them, I know a gift that God has for you and I want you to know about it too and we start telling the joyous message of Christmas. Jesus came for you. Jesus loves you. Jesus is reserving a place in heaven for you, and he wants to give you that precious gift, the faith that holds the Savior true and tight. Brothers and sisters, there's so much to be seen in this picture of Simeon with this small child. I will tell you this, that... I've had the privilege of serving the Lord as a pastor for 32 years. And one of the greatest joys in my whole ministry is when I get to be with a Christian family or a Christian individual in the very last moments of their life. I can't tell you how it has happened, but there are many times when we have some of the most amazing conversations and people express their faith. And the, the focus of that moment always is I'm ready. I'm ready. Somebody who holds Jesus in their heart is always ready no matter no matter how death comes. We know it's coming or no matter how soon Jesus is going to come, I'm ready. And even with a bit of an ex- excitement, we discuss it and say, do you realize that at any moment you're going to be face-to-face with Jesus and see that, that precious Savior who came for you? Do you realize that all of a sudden everything you've been dreaming about is actually happening because God keeps His promise? We know that from the Old Testament, and we can be absolutely sure of it in the New Testament. Do you know how blessed we are? To be able to tell anyone and everyone they have a Savior in Jesus. And to be able to say with absolute certainty, because God has shown me how desperately I need Him, my sovereign Lord, me His servant, that He gave us a Savior. Christians, hold Him tightly. And as long as you do, you are absolutely ready. Amen.